You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and supported by the Western Weekender. For three decades, Penrith and the Blue Mountains have turned to the Western Weekender. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Here is your host, Jonathan Robinson Lees. Thanks for joining us for the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. In today's episode, we chat with Beck Slack, owner of the local business Clever Stuff Educational Toys, a venture that she took over in 2015. The emphasis on learning through experience is fundamental to the mission of Clever Stuff, and there is a deliberate focus to ensure that all toys are centered on enjoyment. Whilst it has been a whirlwind six years for Beck, the opportunity and the ability to make an impact to the local community is the motivation for her business. Please enjoy the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Beck, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Beck, in 2015, you took ownership of Clever Stuff Educational Toys. What sparked that jump into the unknown? For me, it was just taking a leap. So um, my husband is actually a personal trainer by trade, had a pretty successful personal training company. He was doing boot camps but he was regularly getting injuries and it just wasn't sustainable. Um, And we had a two-year-old at home and we decided we needed to make some changes. And so we jumped on board because I'm a complete nerd at heart. So doing something around education, we had a two-year-old and toys. It's fun. Why not? So. And for you making decisions in in life, do they tend to happen pretty quickly or are you the kind of person who likes to take time to think it through and consider all the scenarios? I like to think... I'm a jump first, think about it later, but I'm not. I think of every possible scenario, every outcome. Um, so I'm trying my hardest to be a jump in, but I'm a, I'm a thinker. But do you think that's a positive though, the fact that you can consider scenarios? Do you feel comfortable then when you make a decision? I think so. I think it takes me back to having a bit more confidence in myself. I think sometimes if we jump in straight away, you've always got that question of, did I do it too soon? Did I do it right? Whereas by taking a step back, thinking things through... It's just a bit easier to go to bed at night and <laughs> sleep soundly. <laughs> and Beck, knowing where you are now with the business, has it exceeded your expectations? Completely. Um, yeah, I, I don't think we ever thought we would be in the position that we are. So we're very lucky we've t- continued to grow the business over the last six years. We're turning six at the end of the month. And it's just been, it has been a slow burn. Things have taken time. I wish things would happen faster than they have. But if I look back six years ago and say, what were you thinking? I can't believe you actually thought that was going to work. My website was horrible. There's a, there's a way you can actually look at a website back in time and it's disgusting. <laughs> I can't believe that I actually thought that was that was solid, but it's worked and we're here where we are now. When you made that leap of faith, that big decision to, to take on the business in 2015, how did you overcome any cynicism, whether that be internally that you, you thought about or people saying, oh, that's a stupid decision or why are you chasing that opportunity? How did you overcome that? I don't think we had much cynicism, to be honest. I think um, I've got the most amazing supportive family. They all jumped in feet first. Um, When we've had really busy sales weeks, my mum is down here packing boxes with us. My sister helps us out as much as she can. Um, And this is a joint business with me and my husband. So I was very lucky to have, you know, someone literally by my side saying, this is for us, this is the right choice. How important is that support network, do you think, in business but also in life, just having people around who can jump in and help out? 
I don't think you can do anything without it. I genuinely think that having that support is the difference between having confidence in yourself because sometimes if you're lacking confidence or if I'm lacking confidence in a decision I'm going to make, I've got 10 people behind me going, come on, give it a go. Like, try it out. What's the worst that can happen? Do you consider how life might have been different if you hadn't gone down this path? If, you know, the opportunity came up and you declined it, do you consider where you might be now? I honestly don't know. I... I haven't really, to be honest. Um, I I kind of chopped and changed. I was never really set on a career path. I I wasn't sure what I wanted to do after I finished school. I changed my uni course a couple of times. So I've never really been that person who always wanted to be a doctor or always wanted to be a teacher. So I think I, I'm very much a go with the flow kind of person. I'm just glad the flow has led me here. And being from Penrith... Yep and running a business from the area as well. What do you think is key to, to overcoming any barriers? Because unfortunately, at times there are, you know, you hear about postcode discrimination and yep. people putting a label on things. How have you gone about overcoming those barriers as a business owner? Uh, I think for us, there is some postcode discrimination, but the people that are from the postcodes, we don't feel it. So being a Penrith business and being here with the locals, it's wonderful. I think that it's the best community. If we were in Sydney, people wouldn't know our name. We have people that come in and they go, oh, my next door neighbour told me about your business. You're not getting that in the other suburbs. The community that Penrith, the mountains, the Hawkesbury, these areas have is that we share things with each other. We don't have that in the city. And so. has that been a deliberate point of differentiation for, for you and your husband with the business? You know, we were speaking before yeah. the interview about how good the local community is, is. Have you guys deliberately built the business around that? 100%. So all over our social media, all over our emails, everything is either from Beck or from Nate. We are the face of our business. We want people to call up and they go, hey, Beck, it's Kathy. And I'm like, hey, Kathy, how's, how's you been? So we definitely have that, that personal connection with our customers and it's absolutely beautiful. We have people that come to us for a first birthday gift and then four years later, they're still coming back and it's we're building relationships I think that's what it comes down to it's connection and relationships and it can be done online we're lucky that we can send out around Australia but the local community is really that's what makes us the happiest in our business. Beck you grew up in the lower mountains and in Penrith what was your childhood like? It was beautiful <laughs> I, um, I had a really happy childhood my mum is one of eight kids I've got a hundred cousins all around Sydney and we all grew up really close so I had um, cousins at St Columbus and cousins at Blacksland High I was at Penrith my sister was at McCarthy we are Penrith Lower Mountains family through and through so yeah we had a really great time we always played sports we always were involved in all different things so yeah my childhood was great that element of you know the sport the the adventure the community how important do you think that is for, for anyone's upbringing in childhood? I was only talking about this the other day. I think that sports teaches children so much. I think it's one of the, the best things that parents can do. I think that being involved in team sport, particularly it's winning, losing, it teaches you so much more than just the skills on the field. Um, I was never fantastic at individual sports. <laughs> I found it a lot more pressure. But yeah, for me, sports was, that was the, the kind of cornerstone of everything I did. It's where I formed my closest friendships. It's where, you know, it kept us healthy, kept us active. Yeah. Was there a particular sport that really drew a lot of your, your time and attention? 
netball. I was a Blacksland Redback and my sister was too. And my mum and my aunties all played for them as well. And then as I got older, I really enjoyed touch football. Outside of sport, what do you think was the biggest influence on your upbringing? My family. Yeah, just like I said, that constant support. We grew up in a really happy, happy household. Everything was fun. Just being around cousins and yeah. You attended Blacksland East Public School and Penrith High School. What role did education have for you and your siblings? I am an absolute nerd. I was the I was in the OC class. I obviously went to the selective high school. I loved school. I, I think that school was fantastic. I was one of those kids. I didn't enjoy it at first, <laughs> but once I realised this is where my friends are every day, I was the kid that didn't have days off because I wanted to wanted to be there. And was it the the sense of, of learning, was it success with, with exams and assignments? What was it specifically that you tend to enjoy from the educational side? I think it's um, being able to achieve something, whatever that may be. So whether or not it was learning French and actually having specific goals that by the end of the year, you will learn X, Y, Z. So it was always goal focused and being able to achieve those things. In your high school years, were you drawn to particular subjects, any that jumped out to you? I liked English and I liked PE. <laughs> they, were, they were the ones, they were the most fun. And what was it about the, the English subject? Because it is quite broad and different parts, I guess, draw different people in. I think the creativity and the expression and how one person can read a text and take one thing from it and another person can read the exact same words on a piece of paper, no emotion behind it and completely have a different experience from it. Do you think subjects like that, because at a personal level, that, that was a big turning point for me at high school, was, was learning to love English as a subject in my later years. Do you think that there could be more done to, to really push the creativity and draw out creativity from the students rather than forcing it in? I think, I think so. And I, obviously our business is based predominantly around preschool, but I can see the shift of us going towards open play and open-ended learning don't have I although I do love a goal and I do love an outcome thinking about what more could this be so instead of it just being like this is what we want you to learn no what did you learn and having a conversation more about what did this student get from it um, make it more collaborative rather than just dictating and with your two kids now yep. how do you go about managing that is that is it a challenge from an educational point of view for me, yes. My son takes after me completely. He reads a book a night. He's just just straight down the line. Um, can't handle losing very well. <laughs> I don't know where he gets that from. Um, and it is it is a challenge though because he's in his head. He just wants to get it right. He wants to get the answers out, and he wants to be the first one to do so. So it's about taking a step back and trying to teach him that. It's more than just getting the right answer. It's about, you know, showing respect, being kind. And there's a lot more going into learning now than I feel like when I was younger. The back end of high school, what particular aspirations did you have? I know you mentioned before that you, didn't, you weren't necessarily set on something. Yep. But did you consider where you might go straight after school? Yeah, so I went straight to uni and started a policing degree. And then did that for 12 months. And then my best friend and I decided we wanted to do the backpacking around Europe thing. So I took a year off and while I was traveling, I changed my mind again and <laughs> came back and switched to criminal psychology. So even though now I'm very education, originally I was all about criminology. I loved, 
I love a good murder podcast. I love the, that, um, the criminology, policing, all that kind of stuff. The travel to Europe, what do you think that taught you at a personal level? That I can do it. Uh, this I'm going to show my age a little bit now. It was before iPhones. It was literally us with a map, uh, like a paper map. And I've always been a real big homebody. I didn't enjoy school camps because I was away from my mum. And so to go and travel Europe with just me and a girlfriend, it was really an experience just to show me that I can do it. It was probably the first big one, the first big challenge I'd had. Was there a specific moment, a really poignant moment, that you think jumped out at you where you kind of thought, okay, this is a, a whole new world. There's a whole lot more out there than Penrith and the mountains? The first night we landed in London and we did not have a hotel booked because, you know, it's London. It'll be fine. We'll find somewhere. There was nowhere available. We didn't have mobile phones. We couldn't do anything and it just the grit that we showed standing on the side of the road crying over where we were going to sleep that night. Um, But we did it and, yeah, it was amazing. Was there a specific place on that trip that really resonated with you, though, a place that you really connected with? I think Paris. I'd always loved learning French at school. I feel like Paris is such a cliche answer, though, isn't it? Everyone says that Paris is the best but for me I think it was because it is built up in so many movies it's built up in in text and it's built up everywhere so then when you get there and it is actually as beautiful as you thought it was going to be that was yeah that was really nice the importance of travel as we know for those people who can is is hugely beneficial and Mm. and really helps you grow as a person is that something you encourage your kids to do when they're at that right age? 100%. Yeah. If there's anything I can do, I, I want to build them up to encourage them to show them that the world is huge, but also really small. You can get anywhere you want. You can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter where you are. Going back to the, the end of the schooling years, attending Penrith High School, did you, did you face pressures given the academic side of the school? You know, it's a big focus on the academics. Were there internal or external pressures that you felt had oh, attended there? Definitely. It, it was great to surround yourself with like-minded people who did take their education seriously. Um, I think that was a massive difference. I think when you're around people who want to be where they are, it encourages you to be the best you can be. I never went to a different high school. I only ever went to Penrith High. But from what I was told of other schools and other areas, that even my husband growing up, if someone wasn't interested, it wasn't cool to be interested So it was easy to sit in the back of maths class and make fun of the teacher. Whereas at Penrith High, you listened, you wanted to be there. You, it almost felt like a privilege that you had to respect. With uh, your university studies, what do you think were the biggest takeouts for you outside of the theory? What do you think you learned across the, the policing and the psychology study? I think, again, it was the same as with the English that we are all coming from different backgrounds and we all have a different perspective. I found the, most interesting I learnt from the policing degree was that I could look at a situation happening and I can see two people just having a conversation yet someone else could look at the same situation and see two people arguing and it was about how to make that decision when you're just as a police officer walking past someone is this something I need to stop and investigate or is this something that's just normal everyday life so it was just taking that it's probably a lot deeper than a lot of the other people thought about, but taking that step back and realising that people can be doing and seeing things from different perspectives. Do you still have that itch at all, that ambition to go back into the police force? I have. I, I have thought about it. 
often uh, at the moment where my life is with the kids it wouldn't be a possibility but one of our good friends is actually um, now with he's got a 12 year old and a 10 year old and he's going back to become a police officer and I kind of went wow that's pretty cool so <laughs> do you look back back at those years the travel going across the two degrees do you look at them as quite a formative time where you developed a lot of resilience and, and grit yeah yeah I think so I think traveling definitely um, I was responsible for myself. I couldn't just ask my mum to make my breakfast for me. It was all about, you know, realising that, no, if I want something, I've got to make it happen for myself. And with the university, I actually moved out to Bathurst. And so it was the same kind of thing. It was the first time I lived out of home. It was making those big decisions, being responsible and, yeah, make, getting grit. I don't have much grit, so... <laughs> what was the experience like... You know, in Bathurst, living in a country town, regional New South Wales, did you have certain expectations going out there, what it might be like? I did. I lived on a dorm. I lived in a dorm for my first year. Um, I thought it was going to be like a sorority house from a movie, and it was not. It was people in their rooms studying and working. We were all there to get a degree. You weren't, it wasn't the party scene that I thought I was... Ex- not that I wanted that, but I was expecting it to be a bit more... a bit crazier than it was. It was just people living away and studying. And did you, similar to your schooling years, did you get motivation and energy by being around like-minded people and people who were committed to their study? I think that was the first time I realised that not everyone is. There were people that were just out there because their parents were making them go to uni. They had to do something else. They finished school. It was kind of the same position that I was in, even though I was very happy with my decision. People do feel this pressure that once the HSC is over you have to make that next step. And for most people, that's university or further education. And I think it was the first time I realised that some people don't take this seriously. So I was there, my first four assignments, I was getting high distinctions. And then I had people who were sitting in class next to me asleep. And I was like, what what are you doing here? Like, what's the point? Was that frustrating for you? It was real. yeah, it really was. (laughs) I, um, I, I do have high expectations of myself. I have high expectations of others. And I kind of feel like if you're given an opportunity, use it. For your kids, again, when mm. they finish their high school years, what kind of direction will you encourage them to, to go down? I think the one that makes them happiest, but also for long-term happiness. I think it's fine to take a couple of years off and travel if that's what's going to make you happy. But at the end of the day, you still need to have some kind of path. There has to be a trajectory that you're on that it's not going to end up with you being 40, having regrets about not travelling, but also you being 40 and being like, damn, I wish I started education sooner or I wish I had more of a solid idea about where I wanted to go. It, for me, it does not matter what that path is as long as it's one that has long-term happiness for him and her. For you, did you feel pressure to go straight into university study at a school? I think from, not from anyone in my family, but from myself and from my school there were very few students that didn't do that. And if they didn't, they already had a trade. I did not want to become an electrician or a mechanic, so that path was never going to be for me. Um, so, yeah, I think there was, there was a lot of pressure on what was that final UAI, what was your final number, and what are you going to do with that? That's what it came down to. It wasn't, it wasn't like, congratulations, you did that, what's next? It's, congratulations, you did that, now use it. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. 
For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. What do you think the education system could do to promote more of that open-minded thinking? Because a lot of people we speak to either dabble in university and leave or their formative years are actually travelling or working when they're 18, 19, 20. What, what more do you think the education system could do there? I think making it more life skill-based. Um, at Penrith High, the, you only had the opportunity to do Unit 2 mathematics or higher. There was no general maths. And I had no idea how GST worked before I started a business. I had no idea about mortgages and all those kind of things because I never did business. I didn't even do business studies in Year 10. Um, so I think making it more life focused rather than just here's the outcome you need to achieve achieve it because I had success at that I had great success at being told this is what you need to learn now prove to us that you learnt it but then the first three years in business I had no idea what I was doing I had no idea how to do my taxes I had no idea how to do any of the real things that I needed to do no one cared that I know Pythagoras's theorem without being able to put it into real world situations Looking back on the, the late teens, early 20s, would you do anything different if you had your time again? I don't think so. I think it's a hard question because I'm a big believer in that all the steps we've taken so far get us to where we are right now. So I don't think I would be here if I hadn't have done the travelling, the changing uni degrees, the working at a gym. All those steps have led me to where I am, so no. Paving your career to where it is now, how proud are you that you've done so without the formal training that a lot of people might have when they're running their own business? I'm super proud. I, um, yeah, I, it's not a self-made, it's not a unicorn. We're not something that's just happened overnight. But I think the way that this business has gone from the little seed that we bought to now, it's not a full tree yet. We're still growing. I think the sky's the limit at the moment. But I'm really proud of where we are. And I'm actually really excited for where we will be. Like, I'd love to revisit this in five years and say, that was your first five. You were super proud by having this business as it was then. Now, look at what you've achieved since then. So, Do you think part of the enjoyment with your business comes from that learning, the fact that you are learning whilst you're doing? I think it's learning whilst I'm doing, but also, again, it's outcomes. It's so data-driven. I'm very lucky that because it is a retail store, I can actually look back and say, well, compared to 2019, we've had a 28% growth. So it is being able to, yes, look at it and the feeling is great growth, but also the numbers kind of back that up. Given those years of, I guess, self-exploration that you had before starting the business, why did you take on Clever Stuff? What was the, the moment in time that, that took you down that path? So I had a two-year-old, uh, one-year-old when we first started looking at it and I wanted something for him. I wanted something that he was going to use, he was going to be proud of. Um, it was his first birthday was coming up and we're actually looking for some kind of party hire equipment. Uh, jumping castles aren't great for one-year-olds. So we were looking around and we thought, look, there's a massive gap in the market. What can one-year-olds have at their birthday party? So we started to explore that and then the opportunity to purchase clever stuff 
presented itself to us and we thought, you know what, that's a business that I completely believe in. It's eco-friendly, it's educational, it's fun, it's really fun. So, <laughs> And it was something that I know that brings value into people's lives. So the, the opportunity was there and we just took it. Taking the business from previous owners, did you face any pressure or expectation with that? I heard we had a two-month handover and every day I heard, but that's not how we do this. And my response was, but that's how I do this and it's now mine. So there was a lot of, it was their baby. I understand, I get it. They had built up this business to a point that they had then outgrown and we were coming in and taking taking it on. And it would have been very difficult from for their perspective to see us going in and saying well what you were doing isn't exactly what we believe is the best opportunity so that would have been really hard for them but it was also difficult to hear that kind of it it was never meant in a malicious way but it felt like I was being questioned in my capabilities were you guys 100% in at the time when you bought it in 2015 or was it a bit of a you know we spoke earlier about that leap of faith were you kind of 70% and you taking a bit of a jump I was I was I reckon I'd be probably be fifty percent, but my husband, he's a jump in he jumps off the cliff and builds a plane on the way down. He's got no problems taking big big risks. His belief is no risk, no reward. So I take that step back. I'm analyzing everything. I'm not sure it's the right thing to do, but with his support, he basically said, let's do it. What have we got to lose? So so no, I was not one hundred percent in, <laughs> but I got there in the end. And was there a, a mentor or a guiding hand for the both of you we, taking on the business? Not so much for taking it on. We have worked with some business coaches in the past. Um, we have. I'm a part of some really great um, business membership uh, programs. But it's more just finding other people who are in the same kind of, experiencing the same challenges. So for me, it wasn't a mentor as such, it's peers. And just being able to say to someone, business is really slow this week. And then they go, me too. And it's just about seeing kind of behind the curtain because I think social media and a lot of business groups on Facebook, we all want to see the best and we all want to show the best, but it's not the best all the time. And sometimes it feels like you're not doing the right thing or the choices that we've made aren't the right ones because they're not showing results straight away. But it's just, you know, the whole industry might be slow for a couple of weeks or there's for us being toys, when Mother's Day comes up, we're always a little bit slower because people's focus moves elsewhere. So it's just kind of seeing behind the curtains with peers rather than just having someone tell me what to do because I'm not great at listening to those. <laughs> you touched on you know, the bit of resistance from the previous owners with your ideas. Do you see yourself and your husband as, as pioneers in the work that you're doing? And is that also a motivation for you to, to prove people wrong? Yeah, I think in the childcare industry, we definitely are. So the way that childcares have traditionally worked is the big businesses will send out a sales rep with a big phone book size catalogue and they'll sit there and place an order. We wanted to try and bring people online and make it easier. You can shop at 2am, but you don't need someone with you watching you while you shop. Get online. It's so much easier and it's so much better. We have faced some resistance with childcare owners being, oh, we just prefer to talk to someone in person. And that's fine. Everyone has their own experiences. Um, but that's kind of been the biggest resistance we've found in the industry. The hard thing for parents and grandparents is, unfortunately, there are online dodgy businesses. And so 
having people actually call us and say, we just want to make sure you're real before we place an order because they have been burnt. How do you overcome that, the, the hesitation to jump online and embrace technology? I find it really frustrating. I think that it opens up so many doors and so many opportunities. And sometimes some of the childcare centres, they're stuck in the past, which is not helping. It's not helping their industry. It's not helping at all because by only going to the same place doing the same thing, you're not growing, you're not developing. You're not, you're not able to see all the opportunities that are out there and all the other potential businesses that you could work with. For parents and grandparents, I understand, and it's just the matter of getting on the phone and if someone sends us a message and say and has their phone number in it I'm not going to reply by email I'll give them a call it's all about that personal connection. Beck what was day one like for you and your husband when you, you bought Clever Stuff Educational Toys were you nervous were you excited what did the day play out like? I was everything I was so nervous um, we had no idea we just knew we wanted to make some big changes and so I, that is the point that I did jump in head first. Look, if we're doing this thing, I'm going to do it right. I sat on my computer and I refreshed the page all day, just waiting for sales, just <laughs> making sure I was doing the right thing. Yeah, it was, it was really nerve, nerve wracking. You hear a lot of businesses early on, it's just, it's toil, toil, toil. You know, they're potentially working at the back of a garage to get things up and running. What was that first year like for you guys? We did it a little bit backwards because we bought the business. We already had a warehouse. We already had a forklift. We already had all these things that, you know, a lot of businesses, it is a step-by-step -step progression. And I do feel like I jumped in the deep end a little bit in that regard. We, our learning curve had to be much steeper because the risk was greater. I already had a rent that I had to cover for the warehouse and we already had workers' compensation insurance that needed to be sorted. So we definitely skipped quite a few steps that a traditional entrepreneur would probably take when starting up their business. So that made it extra nerve wracking for me to, to kind of jump in in the deep end. We already had responsibilities, but it also meant that we did have some good backing behind us. We looked much more established. We, we felt much more established. And I think that led, whether or not it was real confidence or fake confidence, it gave us a sense of, we can do this. This is already happening. Now just roll with it. Let's make it bigger. And for you and your husband, was, was, there, was there any other backing, any other income? Because you hear a lot of people when they want to start a business that they'll kind of keep something else going in the background and build momentum, that trapeze analogy that eventually you have enough to jump off. Or for you guys, was it start from scratch, clean cut? We pretty much did start from scratch, clean cut. We were very lucky um, when we sold our house and we had a, uh, when we bought, it was between the booms. So we were very lucky in that respect, but we believed in it. We jumped in, what was the worst that could happen? This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. You hear a lot from other business owners that they're referred to as lucky and that people looking outside into a business say oh geez you're lucky to have that success and the same goes for musicians and sports people that 
people don't appreciate the hard work that goes in behind the scenes for years and years to get to where you are now. Have you come across that in your work? Yes, and it is my least favourite term in business. There is no luck. There is no overnight success. Even Uber, any of the big businesses, they have hustled and they have worked for years. And just because it's exactly like what I was saying before, just because something's behind the curtain doesn't mean it's not happening. They're having the sleepless nights. They're having the stress. They're working through all these little issues. Their website goes down. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes that luck... Yes, it can come into it. There is some, like, you know, the right person might see the right thing or they might get shared on some influencer's Instagram. But the work that came in before that luck is so underappreciated. Do you recall a point of inflection with the business where you both thought, okay, this is, we're on here, this, is, this has got some legs behind it? Because early on, I'd imagine it was just head in, making this work. Do you recall that moment where you said, okay, we're on to something here? Yes, when I realised we hadn't gotten through all the orders before the courier came to pick up and we went, we're actually too busy to keep up and that's when we have had assistance with my mum and um, over Christmas time, it it feels like a lot of people might look at it and go, oh, that's so, like, that sucks, you have to work seven days. No, this is what we want. Like, my husband, I've said to him a few times, like, oh, you've got an easy day today. There's only a handful of orders that have come in. He said, I don't want any easy days. I want the hard days. And it's just changing our mindset that when we're busy, for me, that's the best thing ever. For you, what does five years from now look like for the business? Where is Clever Stuff Educational Toys? I see no reason why we can't build up Clever Stuff to be the next iteration of Toys R Us. Uh, We do focus on wooden nothing is plastic nothing has batteries in our stock range but I don't see why it can't be a household like why can't we why can't we do that we can let's do it (laughs) do you put your finger on one single thing that's been the key to the success to this point I think just that personal connection I think that's the biggest thing and that goes across everything that we do if something goes wrong it's not we don't ignore problems. We're straight on the phone. We're so sorry this happened. Let's come to a resolution. We don't shy away from the hard conversations. Um, if I, if there's an item that arrives damaged, what can we do to fix this? It's, it's about taking that responsibility. And at the end of the day, people are trusting us. So I've got to show respect to that too. So it's about making sure that every time I send something out, I'm proud of what I do. It's every social media post. I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want things to be misinterpreted it's just about making sure that I'm proud of everything that we do and everything that we say reflects our kind of our morals as a whole what advice would you pass on to other local business owners who are very much in the startup phase ask for help there is absolutely no shame no one knows it's starting out I wish I had have asked more questions at the start it would have saved me many many sleepless nights Um, ask for help get a really good accountant (laughs) they are worth their weight in gold and trust yourself other people have done it you can do it too do you think there is a misconception early on with business that you should know everything that you should be starting a business and be across everything that's involved yes and I definitely felt that myself we you're expected to know how social media works how advertising works how you can do your books, stock keeping, insurance. There is so much and you cannot know it all. So find the people that do know it, ask them for help because 
why, why struggle through when there's someone else who can help you out in five minutes' time? Your work is all about promoting education through toys, as you referred to. Why is that so important to you? It's, again, it's the same thing. It's a connection. So I think promoting education through toys is setting up a foundation to love learning. If you make learning fun for a two-year-old, they've got more chance of thinking learning's fun as a 12-year-old and a 17-year-old. So if you set up that we can enjoy this, but you're still learning something at the end of the day, that's such a great foundation. But also it's encouraging quality time for families, actually spending time, don't sit down and just watch a movie every night, actually spend some time playing some board games. It's developing language when you're talking about what you're doing, your math skills and hand-eye coordination, the actual skills children are developing while they're playing, it's absolutely phenomenal. And whereabouts do you draw your product inspiration from? If I wouldn't have it in my house, I don't want it on my shelf. So we we would never stock a product just because we think it's, you know, that's what we should do. We actually genuinely believe in every product. It has to have educational value. It can't be battery operated. There's no flashing lights. It's all about imagination, getting the child to engage with the toy. It's not pushing a button and see what happens. It's that block turns into a spaceship. And then the next time you play, maybe it's a cow on a farm that developing the imagination and spending time together. The world we're in these days, a two-year-old's very comfortable with an iPhone in hand. How have you gone about, both personally but also as a business, overcoming the traditional toys versus the tech debate or challenge? I think there's a place for both. I think the world that we live in, like I said, where we have resistance of people not wanting to shop online because it's not the way that it's always been done, but that is the way the world's moving. And I think that by completely ignoring that tech is there isn't making it go away. So by embracing it, I, I'm not the biggest fan of kids sitting on YouTube and just mindlessly scrolling. But on the flip side, adults do that too. <laughs> I think it, it's coming to terms with and coming to terms with the moderation. It's children are going to be tech. They're now teaching coding in primary school. They're we are expanding and we are embracing it, but it is also, let's pull it back a little bit. And like I said, spend quality time. Why did you land on the, the wooden toys? It's very much a nostalgic play, you know, going back to, to, I guess, our childhoods and childhoods before us. Why is that so important for you guys? I think it's a social responsibility as part of it. So for me, I try my best to make sure that I'm living as eco-friendly as I possibly can be. Um, and so moving away from the plastic disposable one-use toys has been a really big thing that I think should be happening. It's also the feel of them. They feel different. They're, you, it feels something different when you play with a wooden toy versus a plastic toy. It's, like I said, that imagination, the blocks building different things. It's, yeah, it's old school. And how does the process work, Beck, getting an idea for a toy or a product getting it from concept stage to reality. We're lucky we're retailers, so I don't have to do much of that. We work with some big global brands, so we get feedback from our customers. Um, I don't have to worry about the manufacturer. I don't have to worry about any of that because that's a whole other ball game. Um, but we go to our manufacturers and we say, look, we've had really great feedback of this toy. We just think you need to make some tweaks. We were really, we had one of the leading manufacturers out a couple of years ago and we were having a chat with them about the trends that we're seeing and the following year they actually brought out a whole range of pastel coloured toys 
but the toolbox has a pink hammer and a yellow screwdriver and the train set has pinks and blues and yellows. So it's about, I, I don't believe in boys toys and girls toys and we're seeing the shift of those from the feedback we've gotten from our customers. When you take a step back from the business, say in 20, 30, 40 years time, what change will you hope to have seen as a result of Clever Stuff? That more kids are enjoying learning. I think that's the most important thing. Like the whole idea is learn through play, have fun while you're learning. Learning doesn't need to be sitting down memorising your times tables. You can make learning fun. And I hope that the toys that we provide to families, that they're being used in a way that in 20, 30 years' time, those parent, when they, those kids become parents, they're doing the same thing with their children and it just becomes a natural progression of we're going to teach our children in a fun way. Was there a particular toy that you had growing up that you've been able to, to utilise through Clever Stuff? I really just, we've got Jenga, well not Jenga, but Jenga. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just, they're all the classic toys, the builder picks, I don't know um, how you, what you call them, but they're the little coloured different shaped blocks and you put them on a pattern. And I remember playing with them in preschool. It's learning colours, learning shapes, hand-eye coordination, all those things that now I'm enjoying watching videos of our customers playing with the exact same toy that I remember playing with at Glenbrook Preschool. So, <laughs> What has parenthood taught you? You've got two young kids, as you mentioned. What, what have you learned from that? That we're not going to get it right all the time. That mum guilt is real, but something that can't be helped. So I think everyone, as long as you're trying to do your best, and I think that's in business, in life, sports, academics, as long as you're trying your best, it's all going to end up okay. And what role have the two kids played in the business? They are the best toy testers you could possibly ask for. So we do get samples and we take them home and we'll watch to see if they play with them. They, yeah, they're, they're great. <laughs> do you believe in life, Beck, that we find or create ourselves as people? And you alluded to it earlier, but do you feel that the path is laid out for us from point A to point B or that every decision you make shapes where you end up in life? I think every decision shapes where we are. Just not getting on that train. It's very, I have very sliding doors. I think that every choice we make impacts the next choice, impacts the next choice. And getting from A, you will always get from A to B, but the path is different. Do you take time to deliberately stop and reflect on the journey from, say, when you finish school, the university, the travel starting the business to where you are now? Do you look back a lot of the time? Not often. I think we should. I think the best way to move forward is to look back at what you've done right, what hasn't quite worked, make tweaks and reassess. I should definitely get in the practice of doing that more, it seems. <laughs> and would you change the journey to no, where you are now? No, I love the journey. The journey was great. It was stressful. It was, it was hard and it's, there was no luck involved. <laughs> but no, it was a great journey. What are the next six months or so have in store for you we're, we're, we're at the start of or partway through 2021 what are you hoping to achieve in the next little while just keep going just to continue to to develop that that confidence it's something that as much as I believe I have confidence in myself and confidence in my business it is it is a muscle that you have to continue to work on just putting myself out there for more opportunities I think clever stuff has gotten to a point now where it is it is its own beast in a sense so now what's the next step for me is it um, helping other businesses is it we're going to start looking at what more I can do beyond just working in clever stuff
Where do you see the biggest growth opportunity for the business? Just, I think we haven't tapped into, we're, we're not at capacity for what we're already doing. I think if we can just continue that, that growth that we've already seen, the, the pool of parents never ends in Australia. There's always babies born every minute. So just making sure that um, as people age out, we're aging new, new people in and just staying relevant. And Beck, how do people find out more about the business and how do they get in touch? So we're online at cleverstuff.com.au. Uh, we're on Facebook as Clever Stuff. And yeah, you can reach out Instagram, Facebook, email. We're all over the internet. <laughs> and once you visit, we will pop up all over your ads. <laughs> Beck, thanks so much for sharing your story. Wishing you all the best. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and proudly presented by The Western Weekender. For more unique and inspiring stories from Penrith and the Blue Mountains, be sure to listen to other episodes of the Passion and Perspective podcast on Spotify, Apple or wherever you get your podcasts.